Visibility is essential for operating efficient CPG supply chains, but a lot of them are running blind. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is a Supply Chain Brain Podcast. To get product to market quickly and efficiently, you need to see where it is at all stages of the supply chain. Unfortunately, the COVID-19 pandemic made many suppliers of consumer packaged goods all too aware of their inability to meet this basic requirement. And it's only getting harder as CPG companies come to rely more heavily on outside partners for manufacturing, packaging, and delivering their products. On this episode, we get a look at the state of data visibility in the CPG world with my guests Jake Barr, Principal and CEO with Blue World Supply Chain Consulting, and Hank Canitz, Vice President of Industry Solutions at Newlogy. These CPG industry veterans will describe progress toward achieving complete visibility of product at the manufacturing and logistics stages and how it's being accomplished, or not, across all partners. Here's my conversation with Jake Barr and Hank Canitz. Jake Barr, welcome to the show. Hey, Bob. It's great to be here. Or welcome back. You're one of my earliest guests when we launched this podcast, so it is great to have you. And Hank Canitz, welcome. Hey, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Let me direct the first question to Jake, and then I'll ask Hank to chime in as well. But just kind of as a table-setting question, what issues arise today as a result of a lack of data visibility in supplier networks? Now, that is a loaded question, Bob. I can take that in so many directions, but let me try and synthesize it down to a couple of salient points. The data gap has actually been magnified by the most recent impacts of the pandemic. There have been data gaps in that flow for quite some time. The pandemic just amplified them to a point of absurdity, if you want to put it that way. But the core outage is that most companies have been dealing with an inability to get beyond, I call it elementary school level of connectivity. The ability to pass vital information around production status material flows, physical delivery flows in a coherent way that the partners can use them to understand the current state of their ecosystem. As a result, you're left blind. There's been an issue that because there's been so many performance gaps during the course of the pandemic, which unfortunately affected partners in multiple ways. You had not only partner manufacturers that were failing to be able to deliver to schedule adherence and performance. You had the suppliers they were dealing with to deliver them packaging materials or transportation and logistics services who also had similar outages. Having one node in your network go out because you haven't patched together the right information flow, you can somewhat overcome that. But when you have a magnitude of multiple nodes having high volatility in their performance, it's a big problem. Hank, what's your perception on that? 
Absolutely agree with, with Jake. It's an interesting time to be in supply chain because there's a lot of focus on supply chain. It's not that the problem wasn't there before. The problem was there. I think there's more recognition of the problem. I read somewhere that uh, COVID only introduced about 4% of total risk into our supply chain. So we have risk in our supply chain. If you look at the disruptions that have happened recently, volcanoes and big storms and shortages of, of different types of products, disruptions are to continue to happen. It's interesting to note that the percentage of product that's being packaged and or completely manufactured by contract suppliers today continues to grow. It's sitting at about 25 to 30% of the average uh, CPG product output. And according to the Contract Packaging Association, this is expected to grow at an annual rate of over 10% per year through 2025. The problem is there's been a lot of investment in Industry 4.0 type initiatives, but most of that investment has been for the enterprise. When you think about digitization efforts, collaboration efforts, it's been internal. And when it has focused externally, it's been more on the downstream or, or gaining access to like demand sensing data and collaborating with customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the funny thing is, most of us supply chain practitioners know this, but the majority of supply chain data originates outside of your organization. It's being created by those partners, by those contract manufacturers, packagers, transportation partners, and so forth. And today, the upstream has been pretty much ignored by a lot of these manufacturing companies. Today, they're using a lot of legacy processes and systems. And a lot of these large networks of contract suppliers are being managed through email and phone calls and spreadsheets. Hank, if I might, and Bob, let me pile on there because I I want to make sure the size of the issue is really truly understood. So Hank correctly referred to a growing trend in CPG, but look, I, I serve in six different industry verticals. It's the same. What is constant is that because before even pre-pandemic, almost all these industry verticals were in a situation where the level of demand volatility, think about that as just increasing levels of variation in both their mix and product content and the channels through which they were selling was getting honestly out of hand, out of hand to a point, description I use of saying very difficult to get a grip on relative to both predictive analysis of what, where the demand would come from and how the mix would go. Hence, Hank is correct. Some scrambled very quickly to try and say, well, I need better demand sensing capability. Well, concurrent with that, many of them have strongly embraced what I refer to as an asset light mentality. It's called, wait a minute, I used to own all the production sources. Well, the way I'm going to deal with this volatility is I'm going to fractionalize my supply base. I'm going to contract with more co-packers and co-manufacturing sources that give me the ability to swing up and down, right, Mm -hmm. as the variability happens, which on its surface is a great strategy. What we have to remember is that when you choose that strategy, you are in fact disconnecting a bigger part of your supply chain. Now, why is that? Because historically, we've run down the rabbit hole saying, well, if we have it all within our grasp and we have a 
single SAP instance or an Oracle instance or whatever, we can, in fact, have all clarity of the information flows. Well, to a certain degree, that was correct. Unfortunately, skip line to today, where you now have more co-packers or co-manufacturers than you potentially do plants that you own inside your own information or IT architecture network. Mm -hmm. All of them are disconnected. They aren't using that backbone to the same degree. So the ability to get the views of, well, what do they have in the schedule this afternoon? How far along are they in the schedule this afternoon? What kind of yield rates are they getting out of the performance? What materials do they have on hand? Because we've yet again seen another mix change that we need to take into account. All those things that Hank was describing are amplified now. Well, we're talking specifically CPG here. Other sectors, I imagine, like let's take high-tech uh, consumer electronics and the like, I suspect have a much higher percentage of outside manufacturing and dependence on external partners than CPG, much more than 20 to 30 percent, right? You would think oh, that they— Oh, absolutely, they have yeah. for years. Yeah, so in theory, shouldn't CPG ought to be able to learn from them? Shouldn't it be assuming that those guys have visibility? Maybe they don't. Maybe I'm wrong in assuming that, even though they have such a heavy reliance on external partners. Can't CPG take a lesson from other sectors that have more external reliance and apply that to their own business? And if not, why not? Actually, they can, but I also want us to, in deference, to also remember some of the distinct differences between some of the industry verticals. So you correctly pointed out there is well over 50% in most cases in that high tech or consumer electronics sector of outsourced co-pack or co-joined manufacturing, delivering components, parts. But now what I want you to layer on top of that answer is the actual number of units produced. We're talking times the power of 100 in terms of the number of consumer units produced and moved daily in a CPG context versus a consumer electronics context. Mm, so yeah. one of the differences is that we're talking billions of units consumed versus a few million per year, right, of televisions, et cetera, those kinds of devices. So while there has been work to connect some of those players, respectfully, many of the connectivity methods have been more basic in that industry because the scale and differential of those hasn't been as profound, right, and impactful. Right. To an extent, you've got to wonder if CPG has brought at least a part of this problem on itself by engaging in such rampant skew proliferation over the years. They created their own problem, maybe, for in, in terms of product variation, right? To a certain extent, I think it's fair to say that I think what really has happened is we've entered the age of, as you know, of greater consumer personalization, right? I want my, uh, I'm going to use an electronic example here, but I want my iPhone with a purple cover, not a silver, not a black, not a gray, not a whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So the part of the, the proliferation that's happened in consumer products is they have, the companies have chased being much more finite in their delivery to segments of the consumer populations that they were chasing to serve, right? That perhaps are in fact more profitable segments for them, but it brings with it, as you described, 
the other associated issues you got to work through. Yeah, and you think about different channels as well in the fast-moving consumer goods industries. You need different packaging for uh, things that are going direct to consumer versus mm-hmm. retail versus going into food service, right? With different packaging, different quantities. And not only that, when you think about new items, a lot of the fast-moving consumer goods type companies, their manufacturing facilities aren't really set up to do small lots, to do small trials of a product for, for a specific industry. And so a lot of that new product is being actually produced by their partners, their co-manufacturers. On purpose, Hank. On it's purpose. A way, it's a way of delivering a speed of agility of change, right? Instead yes. of doing highly sophisticated line changes on things that are used to making batches of 100,000 units at a time, right? That kind of thing. So much for all this talk about end-to-end supply chain visibility. People love to talk about it, but it looks like there's a lot of work to be done in that area. So let's talk some solutions here. Jake, what do you think? How can the talk become walk? (laughs) In other words, how can this become a reality, especially in CPG? Better data visibility. I think, Bob, you triggered part of it earlier in the, the setup by recognizing, look, there has been progress around making the logistical flows more visible. That's step one. But that is only part of a journey map here and a maturity level that you have to achieve. So obviously you first say, okay, well, where are the widgets in the process, right? I physically moving. But you have to decompose that and and recognize that the better part of managing an end-to-end supply chain is understanding work in process, right? So both the material flows that are going in. So in many cases, still to optimize the cost and the margin levels of the products that are being produced by the partners, many of the CPG companies are in fact either buying contractually the materials that go in that are consumed by these co-manufacturers, co-packers, as a way of optimizing, correct? And Mm -hmm. at the same time though, the procurement of the materials is only one step. The actual execution and the use and the consumption of those, the assignment of them to a discrete production order, the consumption of that in the production order, and then the final distribution of the product. So think of it as the need to be able to have visibility, not just when it's moving, but as it's being used, consumed, the status updates, that's the second level of visibility where many of the companies have not yet made the right investment and or put the next level of process maturity into place. What do you say to that, Hank? Yeah, no, absolutely. The The whole end-to-end visibility term is, is kind of vague to begin with because you can say, well, I have end-to-end visibility within my four walls. Well, that's great, but... <laughs> one wall, said, one, one uh, wall to the other. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. But, you know, when, when you think about the, the pillars of digital transformation, you've got to be able to capture that data. You've got to be able to capture that shop floor data in real time. And then you need to connect. You need to be able to connect the trading partners across a network and then facilitate collaboration. It's great if you can connect, but if you can't collaborate back and forth on changes, because changes happen all the time, it becomes very difficult. And and only then can you really start talking about automation and, and learning and analytics and all of that kind of stuff. So 
And most of these networks haven't gotten past just the data connect uh, standpoint, right? We're still struggling with capturing the data in the shop floor and then connecting it in a multi-enterprise type network to allow all parties to gain value from having visibility to that data. Yeah. And Bob, I think it's important for you to actually step back and ask the question, so why? <laughs> so let me put it in a very realistic consumer example. You personally, as a consumer, don't care when you're looking at your smartphone and determining that you need 10 of these things, whatever they are, to be delivered to your house, potentially, or picked up at your local store in either this afternoon or in the morning when you have time available, because that's what fits your personal schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in a physical sense, the way we dealt with it in the past, historically, as you know, was to use, we call it buffers, right? Large piles of pre-produced stacked inventory that we just drew down upon when we finally got a sales order. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's a giant going out of business sale because none of us can afford the cash investment with the level of SKU portfolios that exist to have safety sitting all over God's green earth for all of the different segments and methods and places that you can buy from, right? So what we've substituted is the desire to attempt to run very rapidly once we find out what you need, where you need it, and how much, and pull part of that potentially from the remaining small safeties that we're keeping. And the rest, as Hank is correctly pointed out, I have to actually be able to peer into my partners to see that Hank will have the other four units finished in time for me to then expedite it to your point of pickup so that while you're still on your smartphone, I can allow you to click and confirm that all 10 units will be available when you show up. It's that simple. Yeah, but that's the dynamics through through which we actually need to work today. Mm-hmm. And it requires more than just pulling it from a pre-produced pile, yeah. which doesn't work anymore. Yeah, well, and, although, and you can't do that with periodic data visibility through manual processes and legacy systems. You need real-time connectivity. You need real-time information. And you need that information down to the detail, the granular level to be able to make those types of commitments, the available and capable commitments to customer orders. That's where we're struggling with today, getting to that granular data, the shop floor, the same type of data that you have for internal operations, you need for external operations, the same granularity, the same frequency, Uh, to be able to do the types of what-if scenarios and simulations and available-to-promise, capable-to-promise type calculations, not only for your internal uh, facilities, but for the whole end-to-end supply chain, right? And the best have done that, Bob. They've understood the need for being able to be asset agnostic, as I call it, right? They don't really care whether it's my production site or my partner site for the packing or co-manufacturing, I need to see a single connected piece of information that gives me the current status of work, whether it's in my shop, in my partner shop, so that I can put them together and view it as my total 
available to not only promise, but commit and deliver. Okay, so is the picture that the two of you have painted for me today purely aspirational, or is there a degree to which this actually works for some CPG oh. companies? Oh, God, no. It, it actually works. In fact, there are, it's happening. There are definitely firms that already have accomplished this, and because of that, they're being able to set a different pace around service level and performance in the market. They've understood that as they fractionalize their network to involve more partners, it means they have to actually have to change the way they're managing their internal processes for planning, how they set up their IT architecture to bring in outside partner data to stream it together as a single flow. So Bob, that's real. It exists. It's actually an execution and it works very well. Our challenge is that we've got a lot of folks that have actually been crucified by that as a result of waking up to the extent of the disruptions during the pandemic and haven't done that pre-work. The cool thing, Bob, is that when you put these types of data sharing collaboration capabilities in place, there's value for both partners. It's a win-win and it drives more strategic relationships. The old term, trust but verify, these types of systems where you, you have the visibility provides the trust, but also the verification and the information you need to make sure that you're driving continuous improvement. Okay, well, you know, I started out this conversation feeling a little depressed and cynical about the whole idea of end-to-end supply chain visibility, especially data visibility. I think you guys have gone a ways toward making me feel a little better, that maybe that there is progress being made toward this end, and there will continue to be, even as CPG supply chains become ever more complex and ever more externalized. Anyway, i got to wrap it up now for time purposes, but Jake, Barr, and Hank Canitz, you've been great. Thank you so much for shining a light on this thorny issue. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. That was my conversation with Jake Barr of Blue World Consulting and Hank Canitz of Newlogy, talking about the state of end-to-end visibility in the CPG world. We're online at www.supplychainbrand.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.